starting uh, from Matthew chapter... Lost the verse. Matthew 10, 11, that's what's wrong. 11, 28 to 12, 21. Uh, so we're picking up at Matthew eleven twenty-eight, where Jesus is speaking. And he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him. And he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Good morning, my name's Danny, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my joy to spend a bit of time looking at God's Word together with you this morning. So let's pray and ask God that He'd help us as we do that. 
Father, we thank you that Jesus offers us rest in these words. So help us to hear them and help us to receive the rest that he brings. We ask this in his name. Amen. There are some things in life that don't quite bring you the impact that you're looking for straight away. So a little while ago, I had a health issue and I went to see my doctor and he said, well, here's some medicine, you need to take that. And uh, well, just so you know, you're going to take it and you're not going to feel the effects straight away. You need to take it for a while because it's going to build up in your system and eventually you will start to see the health benefits of it. And so I took the instructions, I went home, I started taking these little bits of medicine and, well, days went by and I thought, well, I'm, I'm not really, uh, I'm not feeling much better. And I knew that he told me, well, yeah, it's not going to kick in straight away, you've got to let it go. But I couldn't help but worry at that point. Oh, what, what if I'm doing something wrong? What if it's not working? Now, there are other moments in life where I get that same sensation. I go on a holiday from time to time and uh, I jump in the car, we drive away, we get to the place where we're staying and I don't get that holiday vibe straight away and I'm still kind of grumpy, I'm still kind of, you know, overly sensitive and I'm still stressing about stuff. It takes a little while to wind down. Maybe you've experienced that on holidays. Maybe you've experienced that in some other part of life where things don't quite kick in the way that you want them to straight away. Maybe, for you, following Jesus has felt a little bit like that. Sometimes it can feel a little bit like, when Jesus says that he's going to bring rest, why am I still so exhausted? There are so many things in life that, whether you're following Jesus or not, they drain you. There are people who drain us. There are circumstances that test our resilience. You you put up for it with it for a little while, but it grinds you down. Our bodies decay and they don't do what we want them to. Things, some things just keep seeming to happen again and again. You think, why does does anxiety just keep coming back? Why are there things that are just so relentless and unending? Why Why is being godly such hard work? Is it because I don't have enough faith? Is it because I'm doing something wrong? If Jesus promises to bring rest, why am I still so exhausted and so stressed? Well, I hope that today's passage will help us with that question because as we see in today's passage, there is a kind of rest that Jesus brings today. There's also a kind of rest that Jesus promises for the future. So how do we live in the meantime? How do we live between those rests? Well, let's kick off, first of all, with the rest that Jesus brings us today, right now. What kind of rest is that? Well, as we're going to see, as we get into the passage, Jesus brings us rest from the burden of legalism, trying to be good enough for God, trying to, the burden of trying to live a life that is good enough to please God. Now, last week, we heard Jesus speak some amazing words. So the end of Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's talking to all of you who are crushed by the burden of trying to be good enough for God, good enough for other people, maybe even just good enough for yourself. Jesus wants to give you rest from all of that. In verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you. Jesus is saying, tie yourself to me. 
Belong to me and I will take care of you. Verse 29, he says, I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I'm not trying to crush you with rules and grind you down with requirements and constantly shame you for not being good enough. And that's because, verse 30, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you tie yourself to me, if you put yourself under my lordship, I won't put a heavy burden on you of all the things you have to do to keep God happy. That's what Jesus said. That's where we we ended up last week. And so at the beginning of chapter 12, Matthew does what Matthew often does. He follows a teaching that Jesus gives with a story where we see that play out in real life. And so in this chapter, Jesus is about to have a confrontation with the Pharisees who are living under a burden and who are piling that burden onto other people. It's the burden of legalism. Now, legalism can come in a few different forms, back in, both in their day and in ours. I think the first and the least subtle version of it is the idea that I can earn my salvation, I can earn my way to being right with God by keeping rules and doing that well enough. Now, there's another form of legalism, another way that it pops up. It's where we invent rules beyond what God gives us that we have to live by, just to make sure that we are keeping God happy. There's another version of legalism as well, and I think this is the sneaky one. It's the version where there's someone in your life who you must please in order to please God. It might be a family member or a pastor or a leader or a friend. And you've ended up in a situation where you feel like stepping out of line means their anger and their rejection, but that also comes with God's anger and God's rejection. And so in the end, your law has become their opinion. Legalism in in any form is a burden that crushes hearts and tortures minds and brings people no closer to God. And so, in chapter 12, in the first 14 verses, we see two stories, two pictures about that burden. And both of them happen on the same day. It's the Sabbath day. This is a really special day for the Jewish people. The Sabbath was a a legally mandated day off. From sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, everyone stops and rests. Sabbath literally means to rest. But it was meant to be a blessing. Not, not a burden. It was meant to be a moment where people can stop and rest and remember everything that's good about having God close to you. And so it was a reminder that God is the one who provides for us, not us. It's a, it's a sign of the special relationship that they have with God. It's a, a practice that teaches the people to depend on God, not on themselves, and to be distinct, different from other people. And it was a taste of the joys of the world to come. What it will be like when we're resting with God all the time. Now, many Jews in Jesus' day, led by the Pharisees, had turned this blessing into a burden in order to make sure that no one even got close to breaking any of God's commands, like, you know, for example, working on the Sabbath. The religious leaders wrote books and books of extra regulations. So like the Mishnah and the Talmud were a couple of those. And they would rule over what people could and could not do. And so Matthew shows us these two pictures of what it's like 
to live under that yoke. The first picture, Jesus is in the grain field and we see here that legalism starves people's souls, but Jesus feeds them. Have a look at verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, this is a perfect textbook picture of legalism. There is no verse in God's law that prohibits what the disciples are doing. It's unlawful because it breaks the man-made regulations around God's law. So in the Mishnah, there are 39 activities listed that you cannot do on the Sabbath, and one of them is harvesting. And so if you squint really, really hard, well, you might be able to accuse the disciples of doing farming on that day. And maybe even if you wanted to add to that, uh, maybe preparing a meal as well, which is another one of the 39 things you're not supposed to do according to the Mishnah. Now, Jesus knows a thing or two about God's law, partly because he's a righteous Jew who obeys the law perfectly, also partly because he's God and he wrote the law, but he knows that the Pharisees have no idea what it means to have a living relationship with God because they're living under the burden of legalism. So Jesus has three responses for them from the Old Testament. Number one, he says, hey, King David showed that there was more to a relationship with God than just keeping rules. So in verse three, he says, hey, remember that story about David that's in 1 Samuel? David was on the run from King Saul, who's trying to kill him, and he went to the temple where the priests gave him some of the consecrated bread to eat, which is only supposed to be for the priests. Now, technically, that's against the law. But God didn't hold that against David because David was caring for people. And now someone bigger than David is here. Jesus is bringing a way to live in relationship with God that's so much more satisfying than legalistically slaving away at keeping a mountain of religious rules. The second way that Jesus responds to them is saying, hey, the priests in the temple, they know that there's more to a relationship with God than just keeping rules. So in verse 5, Jesus says, haven't you read, this? that's a great thing to say to a Pharisee, haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Now, technically, that's against the Sabbath law. But God doesn't hold that against them because they're doing something good. They're helping other people draw near to God in the temple. And now Jesus says in verse 6, hey, someone greater than the temple is here. Jesus has come to embrace the kinds of people who never would have been pure enough, clean enough, good enough to get anywhere near the temple. Now, lastly, Jesus says, hey, even the prophet Hosea knew that there's more to having a relationship with God than keeping rules. In verse 7, Jesus says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Now, Jesus is quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 here, where God told the ancient people of Israel that the evidence of someone who truly knows and loves and trusts God is not the sacrifices they make or all of the rules that they legalistically follow. It's whether they show the same kind of mercy that they have received from God. So Jesus lines up a prophet 
some priests and a king from Israel's history to show that loving God was never about working your tail off to keep rules about a rest day. Loving God is about resting in the knowledge that God is merciful to people who could never work hard enough to work their way back to God. And Jesus can say this because in addition to being a prophet, a priest and a king, he's also Lord. He says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord who has come to give rest. Now, then we get a second story that shows a similar thing. You know, legalism just lets people suffer, but Jesus has come to heal people and help people. Now, later on that same Sabbath day, in verse 9, Matthew says that going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Man, the Pharisees are working so hard on this Sabbath day to catch Jesus, right? Looking for any chance to show that their rules make them closer to God than Jesus is. And so they see this suffering man and they think, this is our moment. This is our opportunity. They know that Jesus won't be able to resist caring for this man. And so they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, again, God's law doesn't prohibit this in any way. But the Mishnah says that healing is work and that you're only allowed to help a sick person on the Sabbath if they will die before the end of the Sabbath. That's the only situation where you're allowed to heal someone or help someone. Now, this time, Jesus shows how this whole burden of legalism has twisted the Pharisees' hearts so far around that they are just inconsistent hypocrites now. Look at verse 11. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Not only does Jesus know God's law better than the Pharisees, he knows their own re regulations better than they do. Because he's, he's referring to something that they wrote in that other book, the Talmud, where it says that you, you can actually put aside the Sabbath regulations if one of your animals is in trouble. You can, you can do the effort to save your animal. Now, Jesus knows that the Pharisees would have no problem suspending their Sabbath legalism to preserve their own property. But in the twistedness of their hearts, he's saying that they care more about their own property than about a suffering human being which, might I say, is an uncomfortable criticism for me to read. And so, Jesus heals this guy in verse 13. But in response to all of this, you get this fascinating moment in verse 14 where the Pharisees go out and plot how they might kill Jesus. These men are so bent on trying to justify themselves and try and look like they're carrying this burden of legalism better than anyone that all they can think about is how Jesus makes them look bad. The Pharisees don't know the goodness of having a relationship with God. They only know the burden. Living under legalism is living under a burden. Trying to be good enough for God in your own strength, it is crushing. 
whether it's the constant grind of feeling like God's approval of you goes up and down based on how well you're going, how much you're reading your Bible, how much you're praying, how much you're serving at church, whether you only ever feel as clean as your search history, whether you constantly have that bounce between pride and shame, or whether pleasing God has become tied up with pleasing some other person and following their rules and expectations, legalism crushes people. It leaves you tired, envious and scared. Tired because there's just so much work that goes into it. Envious of anyone who looks like they might be doing better than you. And scared because you never know if you've done enough. Jesus says, if you're tired of that, come to me. I will give you rest. Jesus says, if you let me be your master, I won't put a heavy burden on you of all the things that you've got to do to keep God happy. Why? Because he's taken the burden for you. He took the burden of having to be perfect in your place. He took the burden of your guilt and your sin. He took the burden of the the punishment that we deserve for that, the rejection by God. He took the cross for you. If you come to Jesus, you can rest from all of the fear that comes from wondering what God thinks about your performance. Because all he's looking at is how Jesus has done it for you. That gives us very real and life-changing rest from legalism. But there's another reality to life. While Jesus gives us very real rest, life is still taxing and exhausting and relentless. Our bodies still ache and they defy getting better and understanding the opposition to following Jesus is still demoralizing. Evil still has days where it just seems like it gets on top. There are so many aspects of life that seem to grind on and perhaps your reserves for dealing with that feel like they are running out. I think people who followed Jesus in his day might have felt that as well. Hey, the Messiah's come and he told us that we don't have to let legalism weigh us down anymore, but Rome still rules Disease still runs rampant. Injustice still crushes the forgotten people. Leaders, both secular and religious, still oppress the people who look up to them. What kind of rest is that? This is where this next little story that Matthew tells is so helpful. Jesus shows us that if we have let him take the burden of sin off us, there is a day coming where he will bring rest from everything that drains our bodies and our hearts and our minds. It's not here yet, but it is coming. So Matthew points out that Jesus knows all about that plot that the Pharisees have to kill him, and Matthew shows us how Jesus responds to that. Verse 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. That with all of the power and the authority that Jesus has shown through the story so far, don't you think that Jesus could have just dealt with those Pharisees right there and then? You know, stripped them of their office and overpowered them? Couldn't he have done that? Of course he could. But it's not time for that yet. 
Instead, he kept on gradually giving a taste of his coming kingdom to the people he encountered. In verse 15, a large crowd followed Jesus and he healed all who were ill. Now, hold on again. With all of the power and the authority that Jesus has shown through the story so far, don't you think that Jesus could have just, not just healed all of their diseases, don't you think that Jesus could have just healed all disease right there in that moment? Of course he could have. But it's not time for that yet. In verse 16, he warned them not to tell others about him. He's not trying to overthrow oppressive authorities. He's not trying to rid the world of suffering in a heartbeat. Not yet. Why? Isn't that what you would do if you had all the power and all the authority? If you could, wouldn't you just snap your fingers and just make everything go away? Why doesn't Jesus do that? Well, according to Matthew, that's not the way that Jesus chooses. As Matthew writes and reflects on what Jesus is like in this moment, he is reminded of an old passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. And that's what he quotes in verse 18. This is God speaking. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. 500 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah looked forward to the one who would come and make everything right. He would bring justice. You know, making making things the way they're supposed to be. Fixing everything, putting it right. You know, bringing people back to God, making people right with each other. Reconciling people in the the physical world that we live in. But it's the way that the servant will do that that reminds Matthew of Jesus. From verse 19, for now, Jesus isn't quarrelling or overthrowing his opponents. He's withdrawing from conflict. He's saying, if you are feeling bruised by this life, come and find some gentleness. He's saying... If you feel like your flame is about to be snuffed out, come to me. Somehow Israel had lost this picture of the Messiah. It had been overwritten by pictures of battles and thrones and holier-than-thou zeal. Imagine the surprise of a poor man with a shriveled hand. Imagine the surprise of a woman who'd been cut off from her people because of her bleeding. Imagine the surprise of a traitor like Matthew when they discover that the saviour of the world had come quietly for people like them. People like you. But for Isaiah and for Matthew, that's not where the story ends for Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to bring tenderness. He came to bring transformation. Isaiah says that that this servant, he will work in his unassuming way, in verse 20, until, until he has brought justice through to victory. There will be a day when when, when reeds aren't bruised anymore. There will be a day when the wicks of people's lives won't be on the verge of being snuffed out anymore, where people aren't crushed by stress and abuse, and sickness, and loneliness anymore, because there will be a day when Jesus deals with the cause of all of that brokenness and death. 
He will come to deal with all of that. How's he going to do that? Well, he's already started. First, by himself being bruised and snuffed out. By dying as the price for our sin and taking away the power that death has to keep us dead. Secondly, by rising from the dead and being made king over the universe and offering us a new life and reconciliation with God. And finally, by returning to judge evil and to get rid of it. And by remaking the world so that we can rest from everything that hurts. Now, we live in the middle of that transformation. We live in a construction site. Jesus has died and washed away the guilt that disconnects us from God. He's risen and given us a new life reconnected to God. We can rest right now from the pain of being without him and the burden of trying to be good enough for him. But we are still waiting for the end when our rest will be complete. What would it be like? What would it mean for you to be free of pain? To have rest from the mental battle that is every day. For the labour of caring for your family member who you love to be replaced by the joy of seeing them restored and healthy and strong. That day will come. And that is the thing for us to long for. Jesus brings us rest today and tomorrow, now and in the future. Today he gives us rest from that burden of legalism and one day he will give us rest from all the brokenness and weariness of this heavy world. So what do we do in between? How do we live in between those rests? I think that word Sabbath is actually a really helpful one. Practicing Sabbath, practicing rest is a good thing for us. Taking time, regular time to stop and rest and remember that God is God and I am not. Now, maybe that's Sunday. If it can't be, it's good for there to be a day where you can stop your labours and your striving and your hustle. Sunday's a good day because it helps us in all of this stuff. But why, why do we need to stop? Why, why can we stop? Well, we can stop. We can afford to stop because God's the God of tomorrow, not me. God can provide for me. I'm not the one who provides for myself. I'm not the one who provides for the people who rely on me. God is the God of tomorrow, not me. We can afford to rest. But also, and more important than that, we need to rest. We need to stop because when we stop, we are preaching to ourselves about what God's done for us. We are retelling ourselves the story that Jesus has written for us. When we stop and when we rest, it's a moment to, to remember the story that we live in. Not the one where I worked my way up from nothing with, nothing, with, with my bare hands. The story where Jesus saw me in my sin and became nothing for me so that he might give me everything. When we rest, it's a time to look back in that story and remember that Jesus has taken the burden of my sin so that I can rest from having to carry the burden of all that stuff that I do during the week to try and justify myself, to try and prove myself. I can look at who I am in that story right now, a beloved creature of, of God made in his image, 
being molded to be more like Jesus through the fire of every hardship that comes in the week. When we rest, it's a moment to look forward. To look forward to the day when Jesus will return and with him will come rest from everything. When we, when we stop and we rest and we Sabbath, it's a moment to be restoried, to remember the story we live in. I want to close today with a prayer written by a Christian Englishman named Peter Gregg. This is a prayer that he wrote that I think is helpful to pray on a day like today. So let's come and pray together. Lord Jesus, may this day bring Sabbath rest into my heart and my home. May God's image in me be restored and my mind in God be restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into this week and into the life to come. Amen.